0: hey everyone it's shannon and dave from the outside edge we want to personally invite you to join us on our podcast via patreon
1: the bonus episodes we let loose a little bit more we take the guard off and we get some amazing stories
0: it just starts at two dollars a month we know you can afford it we've had great guests on we just recently had todd weatherhill telling us about his adventures in austin and our latest podcast is with carl reberge talking about his adventures with Aerosmith and skiing with Joe
1: Perry, and also Arnold Schwarzenegger's family. So check it out. Remember, it is patreon.com forward slash the outside edge. Get on there and listen to these episodes. They are hysterical. Welcome, everybody, to the Outside Edge, a podcast about all things water sports and extreme athletes. We talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of what's happened in the past, and What We hope to see in the future. Along with me today is my faithful producer, Mikey Lee. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Mike, what's going on, man? Uh,
2: My voice is killing me. I got sick over the holiday break, and uh, I had to drive back from Oklahoma with the flu.
1: Thank God you weren't in an electric car. Yeah. What does that have to do with you? Remember, you said you're going to have to plug in every four hours. Oh, thank God. Yeah, exactly. You'd still be driving.
2: Yeah, it was 20 hours of hell, I'll just say that. Ah, But other than that, I'm doing well. Well, that's good. Yeah.
1: And my co-host, ladies and gentlemen, Shannon Best. What's going on in your world, brother?
0: Hey, what? What, no beer
2: song? Oh, yeah,
1: baby. Oh, I keep forgetting that you're the beer song. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) There he is. There he is. What's going on, Shannon? Where are you these days?
0: I am uh, back in Fort Lauderdale, locking people up and uh, letting them
1: escape. (laughs) I love it. And how about at work? <laughs> same thing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right on. Well, listen, uh, today I don't, I don't want to waste a lot of time with the introduction because we have an amazing guest that's on the show today. And uh, you know, you, uh, you look back in the history of the sport, and there's there's a few guys that just really stand out. And this is one of the guys that I always looked up to. So I'm going to dive right into the intro right here. You right Pull up a chair because this, okay, this intro is a here. little bit lengthy. One of these, yeah. <laughs> so, gentlemen. On with us today, was born in Montreal in 1964. Started competing at age seven. Five years later moves to San Diego, right? In the mid-70s, after becoming a US citizen, he and his sisters, Natalie and Karen, start dominating in the national waterski scene. In 1976, gets his first national title for junior boys, slalom jump and overall. Twenty-year career with over a hundred pro event victories. How you doing? 21 U.S. Open titles, eight-time Masters champion in slalom jump and overall. Only athlete to win a Pro Tour titles in jump and slalom. 96, in 1996, wins an unprecedented eight tour stops in jumping to finish undefeated. Swept the tour that year. Wow. Right? USA Water Ski Athlete of the Year, 94, 95, 96. He was the poster child for Kidder Skis and Body Glove. In 06, he got inducted to the Water Ski Hall of Fame. Recognized as one of the first 10 guys that jumped over 200 feet, right? 200 feet. Oh, my feet. gosh. Yeah. TikTok specialist. <laughs> now I'm giving it away. And he can spin a skateboard at least 10 times in a row. We're going to get into that in the show. Pretty good teammate on the ice as well. I've played hockey with this guy as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Carl Roberge. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah, baby.
3: You guys are killing me. Uh, <laughs> right? God. Yeah. Well, thanks for that intro. Boy, that that's something else. I'm glad to be on the show, and and hope we could have some fun and talk about some good old times.
2: Yeah, absolutely. All right, tell us about the first time you skied naked. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, it was dark.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the golden rule. <laughs> and I was,
3: and I was pretty light.
1: <laughs> a I'm lot lighter. Pretty, they were pretty yeah, white. Yeah. <laughs> lights came on. <laughs> that's funny. I want to so, dive uh, right into. So you, you started competing at age seven. So that must have been in Montreal, right? So tell us about that no, a little bit.
3: I, actually, the. Your story was pretty accurate except for my early years. I actually um, moved to California when I was about a year and a half old. Oh, OK. Um, so I really don't uh, you know, remember um, that part of my life being in, in Canada when I was a kid. So I kind of grew up as a kind of a Southern California kid on the coast in San Diego. I lived in PB. Those who don't know that Pacific beach. And I grew up surfing and water skiing.
1: Okay, so where where were you water skiing in those days and behind what boat?
3: Um, you know, I started water skiing and, and learned how to water ski on Mission Bay, which is uh, uh, a saltwater bay just right off the Pacific Ocean,
1: just north of San Diego. Wow. And what kind of boat were you guys behind?
3: Uh, well, we learned how as a family on just a rec- recreational inboard-outboard you know, open, open bow kind of a fun skiing boat. Right. Um, And after a couple of years, we we purchased a ski nautique, and okay. when we kind of got a little bit more serious about competing water skiing.
1: How old were funny. you then?
3: Um, it was like maybe when we when we bought that boat, we pro- I was probably about six or seven. Okay. Uh, yeah. We actually were race fans. Uh, we used, Mission Bay was a was a place where they had a lot of water ski racing. I, uh, also, my...
0: I thought Mission Bay was also famous for hot-dogging, for sort of show skiing and hot-dogging as well too, right?
3: Um, or, or, was yeah, that,
0: or, did that, or did that come later?
3: That was, you know, it was more surfer-oriented. There wasn't so much show skiing there. I mean, there was guys like, uh, uh, you know, riding some of the first um, – was that the the, uh, the first wakeboard, and I guess they called that, what was that? The, uh,
0: scurfer. Uh, the yeah, scurfer. The
3: Scurfer, yeah, yeah. With, with Tony down there and stuff, and that was kind of evolving because of the surf environment, but not so much show skiing. Um, the racing and then the three event were, were real big, um, and the racing was huge there. They'd have the huge, the national championships there at times, and my dad actually wanted to build a, build a boat and get me racing. Um, huh. and it, all that kind of came to a halt when we saw a few kids get hauled off in ambulances that were a little older than me. And my mom goes, okay, this, we're going to go look at the slalom course and the ski jump instead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's <laughs> go, go Go figure. Let's ski go hurl them way off way a ski jump 200 feet. That seems way safer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's funny. Wow. So now your sisters, uh, who's who's the oldest and who's the youngest like where do you guys all fit
3: um my my older sister is karen and then my younger sister is natalie okay so you're right uh, in the middle
1: yeah yeah right so i'm in the middle okay so yeah so you started skiing around seven so you're so natalie's got to be you know what six at the time five yeah Yeah. right and wow okay and that's in 76, you guys, you, you get your title in Junior Boys and Slalom and Jump. So now in 76, you're 12 years old?
3: Uh, yeah, something like that, yeah. And it, it's, you know, it was really interesting. My my sisters and I were extremely competitive in water skiing. And every day that we skied together, and we didn't ski that much. I mean, we'd go out probably two, three days a week when we were that, that young at, at most. And... But we were really competitive, and my sister Karen was, you know, about the same size as me as far as athletics and everything. I mean, she was uh, she was tall. a girl, but she was a year older. She was bigger, taller, right. stuff. So I would always compete against her, and we'd always have this deal where you know we, we wanted to do something before the other, and um, it it was funny because as she grew up competing with me. Um, within a short period of time, by 1980, she was world champion because she, her, and I would compete against each other. And she really is wasn't that well known in the waterski world, but she knew at home she would compete against her brother. And lo and behold, it seemed like overnight she was at the world championship oh, level. Oh, must have been. I can't imagine went in competition.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can imagine she her competing against you, and then she goes against regular girls her age, and she's got to be walking all over them.
3: Right. So that it that it was it was just uh, amazing to see her um, kind of go through that, and and um, of course, I was having to compete against the men, so I was a couple years behind her trying to catch up. You know, in in the competitive world, but. Um, that's really, you know, what drove each other when we were little is is is, is that competitiveness between us.
0: Were they still wooden skis?
3: Um, no, I mean, I we we didn't really see that much of that. I my original skis were wood, but that didn't last very long. There was fiberglass skis pretty much most of my career.
1: Yeah, so seventies, you're you're starting to slalom in the course probably in seventy three or seventy two so for, yeah for,
3: something like that compression
1: molded skis weren't around that long i mean they were you know i mean the the what were you skiing on them were you skiing on kidda right away um no
3: i actually when i was real little we skied on uh some compression molded skis called saucy or um we also used i guess the ep brand a little bit uh, with some of their honeycomb jump skis and um and then before that, I had some uh, some wood products. I guess it was Western Wood.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. No kidding.
3: Wow. Yeah. Mike Siderhoud was my hero along with um, some of the others, and they kind of used that product, so we gave it a try.
1: Yeah, that was my next question is who who were the guys that were around then? Because the Siderhout must have been the LaPointe's as well.
3: Yeah. Yeah. They, they were all larger than life. I was a little kid. I'd look up to them, and I would just – I just, you know, was very humbled <laughs> and looked at them and, and tried to emulate what what you could. And, you know, you didn't really get to see those kind of athletes very often unless you actually went and saw them compete in person at some events. So being in California, I was able to see Bob and Chris LaPoint slalom a little bit and Mike Siderhoud and uh, Chuck Stearns as well. And they, they were a huge inspiration. They were, they were a lot of fun to watch.
1: I've heard some crazy stories about Siderhoud of like how he used to put the sling on the wrong side.
3: He he did his whole career. I mean, it was pretty unorthodox. I, I you know, I don't know how he could ever do that. What was his um,
1: theory? What was he? What was he trying? You to- know,
3: if you, if you go back in time and you look at those guys and what they were doing compared to what a, a lot of skiers are doing now and you see that in wakeboarding as well i mean if you see you know somebody who can go out and do you know a couple of rolls and uh and, and a couple different flips they they would have been world champions you know when, when the sport first came out but sure and same with water skiing you you see a lot of people kind of doing the simplest things and they'd be world champions back then so there is so, so real quick
0: uh we've lost mike there so mike when they say sling, they're not talking about a G-string.
2: Yeah, I was kind of I was concerned. I was wondering, you know, if he was wearing his sling on the wrong side, everything would be hanging out. I mean, that's what I would Yeah, think. exactly.
0: You'd be whistling through the water, right? Yeah. Your, your, your rudder would be flapping on the inside of your leg. Yeah.
2: This next trick is called the sausage flap. <laughs> and yeah. this and is again, the banana hammock.
3: <laughs> so, so
0: just explain real quick, guys, what what you mean by the sling on the wrong side. Go ahead, Carl. Yeah.
3: Okay. uh, An arm sling and ski jumping is critical. Um, You couldn't really get any distance without it. What it does is it's a little strap that that hangs on your waist. I wouldn't say little, it's real heavy duty, but it holds your elbow into your hip and uh, transfers the tremendous pull from
1: your shoulders to your hip yeah so basically what it is is it's like a remember the old vallejo belts yeah it's almost Mm -hmm. as big as that and then there's a little loop that you actually stick your arm through this loop Uh and it 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 bends right at your elbow so now as you're cutting in your right hand can't get pulled away from your body oh i see because you're creating the g-forces like when you're cutting into a jump ramp you're the the boat is 49 feet away from the jump and you're on a 75 foot line so you're you know, do the math there, you're a hundred and, you know, uh, what is that? A lot. 20. Yeah. We're not mathematicians here. Right. I (laughs) understood there'd be no math. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, they're edging a really hard cut and you're maybe 75 to 80 miles an hour at impact at the bottom of the jump. Yeah. And if you don't have that sling on. They're
0: accelerating too. I mean, they're going literally essentially going from what? four miles an hour it's a 60 miles an hour within yeah. a matter plus. of months yeah right yeah. You
3: know. yeah there's there's no possible way to hang on to that pull. the pole on the line is somewhere around a thousand pounds at, at at its apex so when it when and you know you there's no way you can hold your arms in you're basically it, it would pull your yeah. upper body down so having that weight uh that pole transfer to your arm your your hip um you're a lot is stronger. what happens, and you actually let your arms out, um, and you let that pull from your arm go to your grab hip. your hip, and it transfers everything. So you have a really strong center of gravity, and as you hit the ski jump, you can be propelled forward instead of cartwheeling, you know, out the front. Right. Right. Yeah,
0: that makes does, sense. Does anybody know
1: who the first person using the sling was, or who developed the sling? I don't have a I lot thought it of was history Mike. on that. I thought it was Mike that used the first one, and that because I've heard stories from Ricky McCormick. You know, I, I'm always interested in these stories, but I heard he used two at one time, and then he used one mm-hmm. on the opposite arm, and it was just a trial and error thing to, yeah. to try to figure out what was going to work. But uh it was it? Must have been scary as hell. I remember the first time I wore a sling; it scared the shit out of me. Yeah,
3: you know, it did. It, yeah, it is it a different feeling. Um, you know, I, I would compare it to some of the guys that are doing some of the kiteboarding now where they, they transfer all that pull to their hip. Um, you know, you can't really hang on to some of the loads they're taking as well. And so that that's a kind of good uh, analysis of it.
2: So let me ask you this. If you're sticking your arm through a loop and still holding on to the, you're still holding on to the, uh, the rope, right? The yeah, handle, handle, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Uh, no matter what, that's still going to pull on your grip. I mean, no matter where the pressure is coming from. Yeah. Sure, but yeah. you're,
1: tr- you're transferring a lot of that pull to your hip I- as well. Right. So, but then while but you you're if, the while you're in
2: while you're in midair, you have to get your arm out of that before you hit the ground. No. I mean, it seems like you would No, you hold like if it. you hit the hit the water hard with your arm in a freaking loop and and the and the boat yanks away, it seems like you'd break your arm off. <laughs> yeah, well, no i'll show will show you no. some we'll show yeah. you some crashes yeah i'm gonna then, yeah i'm gonna yeah. need to
1: see some evidence of
2: this yeah. so i can understand how it worked completely. well
1: there's one and i i don't i don't mean to bounce around too much but she, we were looking at some youtube videos of you carl and the oh, yeah. uh, 86 jump crash was one of the first ones that popped up and you almost uh-huh. land on the damn shore do you remember that one
3: yeah i do i do
1: how yeah, can that's... you i can
2: it looked like you were knocked out cold i'm surprised um, you remember it yeah
3: I, it, it, I didn't get knocked out, but it was a horrific crash. Um, and what happened was, um, the, uh, the handle left, I, I couldn't hold the grip through the ski jump. And, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but one of the most critical points as far as pressure on the handle is right on the ski
2: jump. And right. When you so, hit yeah. Right. Cause that's whenever There's you're going to get the most drag we, going up that ramp. But,
3: Right. There's a compression there. The boat's moving forward, you know, at a high rate of speed. And then all of a sudden you're hitting a ramp. And if if you don't, re- you know, that that tension on the line is just tremendous right there. So, and what happened was the handle popped out of my hands on the jump because wow. I, had, I had suffered a, a forearm industry in, injury. So my forearm was just real weak and it, the handle popped out of my hands and, uh, I went left. <laughs> I uh, mean, I came flying off the ramp and went left towards the shore Oh and man! it was, it was, it was, I was fine, but it was, you know, if I would have been 10 feet closer, it would have been, it could have been uh, a, a lot different outcome. Uh, that's for sure. I'd have been on the beach.
2: So that's, that's essentially exactly what I was talking about. No matter where the, the full amount of pressure is, you still have to hold on to that handle right. through all of right. that right. as well. And yeah. if it pops out, Look out! Because here comes trouble. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh yeah,
0: yeah. Wow. And if if you've ever had like, if you've ever motocrossed, um, or you've ever water skied and had the handle like popped out of your hands without releasing it, it sort of snaps your forearms. And what uh-huh. happens is you get like this forearm pump, and it. You can't pick up a beer. I mean, you just can't pick up something. I mean, you literally lose your grip for like yeah. several days. Wow, that's a
3: that's a yeah. great definition, Shannon. I, I'm sure you've experienced that before. I, I, we all have in, in yeah in, in skiing.
2: Yeah. Makes yeah. it really and, hard well, to masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> well, not not so. You'd get
0: it on wakeboarding once or twice, maybe in your career. But like slalom skiing, that was just brutal. You know, slalom skiing was what really where where I if if I ever did that's where
1: you know if the handle got snapped out. That's yeah. When you pop the handle, it's brutal. It's, honey,
2: it's, honey, I had a forearm pump. You're gonna have to take care of me tonight. Yeah, I'm right, sorry, right. I can't oh, do it myself. Yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. You're gonna have to give me the stranger. <laughs> <laughs> I need it, I need an old fashioned. <laughs>
1: That's what happens. So who was uh, that video When we were watching it Somebody dives for the shoreline And tries to catch you from bouncing up on shore And Shannon asked me who that was And I'm like god in 86 I don't know who it could have been Boo Boo or or Sammy It was a blonde guy That was
3: a random fan I think
1: Oh was it? Down there
3: Yeah it was just yeah, There was was quite a few people on the shoreline It was just somebody who was down low I think Oh
1: man
0: Imagine what they were thinking They were like uh, I think he's heading he's heading this way. Guys. What, why you is he coming he this way? Hey, way? Like, hey mom, look. Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: I got I got a picture with I, Carl Roberts.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we came here for the show. We didn't know who we were
1: gonna be the yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> Almost got an imprint from Carl Robert. Yeah. crazy. So so let's go back. Seventy six junior boys, you win your first slalom and jump and overall. So were you trick skiing then as well? Oh yeah. Yeah.
3: I trick skin. I mean, I was good at it, but I wasn't winning at trick skiing. It was just, wasn't my forte. Yep. Um, I was kind of a bigger guy and I actually probably spent 75% of my time trying to get good at trick skin. Right. <laughs> right. And, um, just so I could be strong overall cause it's so difficult. Um, but I didn't really care for it as much as the Solomon jump, but certainly had to do it. I mean, I had, third seconds and thirds and fourths, but I wasn't going in to win. Um, I couldn't beat the likes of those that were specialists in it. They were incredible.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's funny cause you know, I, I, went from three event to show skiing to wakeboarding and you talk to the wakeboarders now and they're like, Oh, you guys have no idea how hard we train. I'm like, you guys don't even know the, for one second, how hard a three eventer trains, you know? And so how many sets were you doing a day between trick, slalom and jump?
3: Yeah, that's the thing. So, I mean, um, when I was younger, it, it, you know, it, it, people weren't training like they were today. The, the, You know, athletes today, are it's ridiculous. Everyone is so extreme and it's on a whole different level. But back in the day, I mean, you know, you go skiing, you'd ski probably three times, four times maybe, uh, sometimes just twice. Um, and they would be for, you know, 15 minutes or so, maybe 20 minutes.
1: Right. Right. And you don't um, have time for the gym. I mean, you're, you're doing all your work out behind the boat.
3: Well, yeah. But you know, later on, I mean, it, it com- had, it changed completely. I mean, that was those, that this was back in time and it was, it was pretty lax.
0: Well, um, what people are going to remember too, is you, you were essentially one of the pioneers as well. Um, you know developing you know a lot of slalom what slalom technology was changing rapidly as well too you know yeah. slalom skis you're going through all that and same with um the jump you know everyone's adding you know feet you know and the the the, the jump skis and everything sort of changed as well too a lot of technology in those yeah,
3: yeah yeah the it the sport changed dramatically um and uh along with the athletes and products boats skis everything changed i mean the sport is night and day different now. I mean, yeah. it's similar from a distance, but it's it's come such a long way.
1: It's kind of like hockey and I know you're big into hockey because we've skated together, but we talk about right. this a lot in the past. Is you go back and look at like Guy Lafleur who played for the Montreal Canadiens in the days when Bobby Orr was playing. Guy Lafleur used to have a pack of cigarettes on the bench. He was just Yeah, i would be, yeah, be smoking cigarettes on the bench in between plays. So, I mean, every yeah. sport, you know, has evolved as it as it comes about, but the pioneers, the guys that did stuff first, you know and um so when you went from junior boys what was the step from there to pro
3: um it went pretty quick actually skied and some uh pr- one of my first pro events when i was about 13 the Ca- california cup in um berkeley uh california and it was, you know, quite an experience, and it was, you know, by the time I was 14, 15, I was trying to get into all those events, and um, it was a little bit over my head, but I, my sister was going to the events; She was a little ahead of me, and I, a lot of times, would have to go with her because um, uh, she couldn't travel alone, and so I would compete as well. So it was, you know, uh, it was something I, you know, really wanted to accelerate. Um, and, and move forward with it quickly.
1: How did you fight through the screaming women on the way down to the lake? Uh, you know, you had the pretty boy smile, California, tall guy. It must've been unreal when you're 13, 14 years old.
3: <laughs> yeah. I didn't have, I didn't really have a problem when I was that young with- with with meeting girls, it was it was it it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. But tell uh, us about you know, how
2: you lost your virginity, Carl. Carl.
3: Well, I was on this deserted island with you know, twenty five women. No, I, no, no, nothing like that. But, and that's
2: uh, how I signed with Virgin Records. No, <laughs> that's it. No.
1: <laughs> I love it. Who, who is on the scene? That, so when you come into pro as 13, who were some of the guys on the dock?
3: Um. Well, you know, you would have, uh, um, Bob and Crystal Point And, you know, back then it was funny. Those guys had full beards. Um, they were, you know, yeah, they were men larger, l- larger in life. I mean, they were, they looked like it was, uh, they came out, they looked like they just came out of a Vietnam war and, they were, were, they're, they were all dressed with, you know, with looking like, what do you call it? Um, they look like,
1: like uh, fatigues or,
3: yeah. Or, or hippies. Oh, hippies.
1: Right. 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 Yeah.
3: And they just, they just, uh, you know, it it was almost like I, they, they hopped off their Harley coming out of some sort of a a gang or something. Right. Right. (laughs) And They went out there and they just cleaned your clock. You know, it was, they were they were amazing.
1: How much yeah, older they were, were they large, than you? Larger
3: in life in the slalom event.
1: Right. How much older were they than you?
3: Um, I think somewhere
1: around ten years or so. Oh, so big difference. Thirteen was, to twenty-three. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Wow. So then you go. Uh, you've had over a hundred pro tour event victories. Wow, a hundred. Mm-hmm. That, that's a big number.
3: Yeah. It. Um, And those, those are, you know, when those stats were done, those are, those are, um, those are pro events. Those are events where you're fighting for money, you know? So those, nobody's given you those victories. Those are, those are where there's money on the line and people are trying to earn their livelihood. So I, I, you know, regardless of the name of some of the events, when there's money on the line, you know, things change and, um, it becomes a lot more fun and a lot more competitive and, you know, they're, um. You know, it means something. You're you're going after your livelihood, so.
2: I'm but sure you're you're proud of. A blast. I'm sure you're proud of all of the uh, trophies and and medals that you have. Do you Scrooge McDuck through them every uh, every morning? Do you wake up and take a swim through your trophies? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, no. Scrooge uh-uh. McDuck. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what Scrooge McDuck is? Does he swim through he his? He swims through his money. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but it would be no, his no, trophy on this. <laughs> Wow, it's always better when you have to explain the joke to Dave. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow
0: yeah when, so i i came into it sort of late um dave you're in it a lot earlier than i was yeah but when when did guys really just start specializing guys would just start focusing on jump guys were focusing on you know slalom and then guys were focusing on trick skiing when they started making it seems money. like back in the day everybody it was sort of an unsaid thing that everybody did three event you know if you were doing something you did all three but then you sort of started seeing guys really specializing
1: yeah that who were the I, so you, i met carl we probably met 91 or 92 carl when i was uh, uh-huh. just coming in on the tour with the freestyle guys and right. i remember at, at that time you had cory picos was strictly tricking right um andy was strictly slaloming uh, you were you're one of the last of the three eventers, but that's a good question, oh, Sam. Shin. Sammy DeVal was in there too. Sammy yeah, but but he, was, he was he was still there. slaloming though too. Sammy was still a true three eventer. Uh, oh, he was. Yeah. I
0: thought I thought Sammy started drifting straight to jump. He did.
1: He specialized in jump later, but he would still slalom too at the events. You know, he didn't make finals every time, but he was there slalom skiing, and I think he tricked in some of the events too, didn't he, Carl?
3: yeah he did he did typically you know what what happened was i think is it's more pro skiing that really turned people into specialists um andy mapple was a great three eventer i mean he and he was probably in the top five um before he started just focusing on slalom skiing and you saw what happened to him when he focused on slaloming he became very dominant and um you know, Corey Pico is another example. He he actually did some other uh, he 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 did some slaloming, and actually I've seen Corey jump, but he um, he focused on trick skiing, and then he be- he dominated that. And so you see a lot of these guys when when the pro level came to be able to be successful and to win, uh, specialization just became the way to go to to get on the podium. Uh, you know, where you could just focus on that one event. Um, I, I had invested a lot of time in three events, so I hung on to it most of my career and, um, you know, was was fortunate enough to pick some wins off in slalom and jump. Um, but, you know, I think that if I would have specialized in either one that, you know, you probably would have had more success in that event than you would uh, uh, otherwise.
1: Which one do you think you would have? I, I know what I think that you would have gone for, but I want to hear your answer.
3: Well, I, you know, I'd have to say ski jumping just because it it was my favorite event and it was easy, easier for me. I I, I got the concept and I didn't crash much and it was easy. But uh, you don't have to spend as much time on the water, but in the gym and physically you had to train completely different than you would for slalom. Sure. And uh, your body type was different. I mean, you had to be super explosive. You had to be strong. And where slalom, you had to be, you know, rail, you had to be really skinny, yeah, wiry and, yeah. you
1: know, lean. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So when, let's money, when did, what was happening with money these days? Because I know the tour wasn't paying much, so you had to kind of live on your sponsor's money.
3: Yeah. Well, that, that's a huge discussion. And there's, there's a lot of, lot, a lot of things about that, that it goes in different directions. You know, are are you first? You had to, back then. You had to decide whether you know, are you just going to be an athlete or are you actually going to try to be a part of some of these companies um, uh, with a worth that a work ethic. Um, so, you know, there were some athletes that that just focused on, hey, I'm going to do a commercial endorsement and I get it. You know, I'll get it, I'll get some exposure, I get some money, that kind of thing. And then there was other athletes that said, hey, you know, I want to get involved in the R&D. And they brought value to those companies by helping develop and and bring out new products. And then there was those that actually you know did physical sales and got involved in um, you know the, the repping the products as right. well as being an athlete. So there's a lot a lot of different ways to bring value to it. And, and there were and then, then there were some athletes that just wanted product and they would do anything just for product. So they 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 had everyone kind of doing different things and that but killed us did, all
1: <laughs> right yeah <laughs> those were the guys that killed us all yeah yeah. What, I, which role do you think you were going down uh, of the three um, that you just mentioned
3: i you know i was always trying to make a career path out of the sport and so i tried to be a team player across the board and i didn't mind traveling to the trade shows and i didn't mind working with the dealers uh and i loved r&d and i i liked the sport so i i kind of when when I came on board with the company, I would try to cover all the bases. Yeah. And um, you know, with Kidder, for instance, you know, it was one of my longest sponsors for the longest time. Uh, the relationship I had with Denny Kidder, um, after after a, I'd say after about, well, the, my first year with the company, he he made me a, a stockholder, a partner in it, and um, and he did the same with Sammy Duvall. So we stayed with that company so long because we were partners in the company right. and shareholders. And not a lot of people know that, but Denny was extremely generous with us, not only with that, but uh, the sales of the product affected everything we did. Um, you know, we wanted the product to grow, so we got involved in every facet of the company we could. and And I think, you know, because of that, with that company, we were probably one of the, the two highest paid athletes in the industry as far as coming from a water ski company.
1: Right. Right. And they took area. And those were the days that it was amazing. Cause was, you know, you talk about how the LaPointe's were guys that you looked up to and Ciderhoud. And you were actually that for me, when I came on the tour, you know, you, you had three years in longer than I did and older mm-hmm. than me. So I, I remember watching you do all that with your sponsors and cover every base. And I really tried to follow that in my career. And it's uh. It's, and then you pass it on to the next one below me and it passes on and on and on and uh that's awesome hey i, I would love to get in this. I, I, I feel all <laughs> tingling <inside. laughs> we, we playing tummy sticks too much <laughs> too much tummy sticks for your money <laughs> <laughs> well hey listen i want to wrap up this episode here carl can we get you back to talk about some more stories
3: oh yeah we got lots of stories so i'm, I'm happy to share this was all pretty serious maybe we can cut loose a little more next time and some other things. It's I love fun. it.
1: I love it. Shannon, you have anything left to ask Carl? No, Shannon fell asleep. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, this episode was brought to you by Doc Solutions. Doc Solutions can help you with all your needs on the waterfront. Uh, you can find them on Facebook at Doc Solutions, or you can find them online at uh, www, their website www.docsfl.com. I also want to thank uh, one of the uh, companies helping us out with the podcast, Pull Water Sports. Pull Water Sports is a full service pro shop dedicated to getting friends and family out on the water. They carry the best brands Ronix, Radar, Liquid Forest, Connolly, O'Neill, Rusty, Phase 5, lots more. You can find them on Facebook or Instagram at Pull Water Sports or PullWaterSports.com. Every great day begins with a pull. Yes, it does. Hey, uh, thanks for getting on Patreon. You're growing left and right. Uh, We're up to almost 1,000 downloads, which Mike tells me that's when we're on the map. So let's keep her going. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Carl. And we'll see you next time on The Outside Edge.